0: Final Ring, here I go. Welcome to the Final Ring, uh, where we talk about competitive Apex and kind of try to bring it around to you guys. Uh, my name is Zoro, and I am a... Semi-professional competitive player. I play also quite casually too. And my co-host is Koala, and he'll tell you about himself.
1: Hello, I'm Koala. Um, I've been competing in Apex uh, from day one. I took a little bit of break, came back, and now I'm coaching and analyzing for the most part. Um, so well, that's a little bit about our experiences. I think we we both are know a little bit about the game and kind of know what we're talking about when it comes to some of the stuff and I've experienced some of the stuff from the actual competitor standpoint. So I think, um, I think we'll have some good insight on some topics. Awesome. um,
0: Yeah. So the reason we're doing this podcast now is that we just finished up champs, as you guys probably know, and we had some pretty exciting finals games. And so the first thing we wanted to talk about was kind of match point system and what that is and how we kind of feel about it. And so the way match point system works is you play games until one team reaches 50 points. And then if they win a game following that, they win the tournament.
1: Honestly, how do you kind of get for it? I was going to say match point is it's really good. It keeps that, you know, competitive aspect of the game. Um, It makes it so you have to play super consistent and and switch up your play styles. Once you reach that match point, Uh, the only issue that I see teams having with it is, Obviously the first like you know first I would say 3 maybe 4 teams that get to match point are um are getting focused in the kill feed and once you reach that that fifth uh, team on match point I think that the fifth team kind of kind of sweeps under the rug and nobody really realizes they're on match point um but overall I think yeah. it's a great entertainment like idea for Apex for sure for BR Yeah, and I know that a lot of people
0: have issues with it, though, also is another problem. And I think that one of the biggest or most glaring problems that I see with it is that it changes how people play. Like, as soon as you hit match point, you just get aped. Like, if someone sees you in the kill feed, you kind of have to move. You can't really be in the kill feed. And we saw that a lot with TSM because they are the first ones on match point. Right.
1: I mean... Even if we take a look over EU, right? Scars they got to match point. They completely switched their play style and like pretty much hid until the absolute like five squads left, where they had to fight and they just had no other option. They didn't shoot at anybody. They pretty much just you know sat in the building. They didn't poke. They didn't show presence. They didn't want anybody to know it was them in that building. And that's how they came out of on top of EU, is. They just went under the radar. They they didn't show presence at all. And I think that's something that NA needs to um like pick up on. Cause I feel like in NA with match point, teams don't change their playstyle enough. I feel like they play the exact same and obviously if you do that, you don't have the that um that outcome as um because of the kill feed snipes and such so honestly what i would like to see i know this is talked about on twitter a lot and it's kind of a controversial topic is um anonymous mode for for tournaments because i think that seeing a team name can really change the play styles from player to player um like obviously you you have you know beef or whatever with with other players you're going to treat that fight a little bit different than than somebody who's just you know playing the game rather right and i think that i
0: think that's a good point actually i had not really thought about anonymous mode being used in tournaments and i guess it would definitely help out with the way that you have to change how you're playing and you would make it so that you have you can play your game consistently throughout the tournament rather than having to do something that you're not used to or don't like doing because i'm sure there's teams that kind of get antsy where they're like we haven't been doing anything for two games and it's kind of tough on the mental to be not performing and not doing anything
1: for sure yeah and then
0: i mean if you have other teams sorry Uh, go ahead go ahead and then you have other teams like the champions. You have Kungarna and A who won, you know, that A champs. They mm-hmm. had only won, I think you said earlier, two games in the entire tournament, once in group stages and the final game of the tournament.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I that mean, I think is, go for That's it. all you need to win. You know what I mean? It's, they, they did what they did, needed to do. They got to match point. You know, all the other teams were, were getting griefed or denied that, that, championship spot and when they got into the position where they were on match point they won and that's that's something about match point that I think is is really exciting to see like that underdog comeback story that nobody expects just just happens
0: oh yeah absolutely and it g- definitely gives you such a good uh viewer experience where your viewers can really kind of get involved in the story and like have that storyline going through
1: for sure i was but. gonna say earlier about how um like swapping up playstyles. uh when tsm was on match point they they played different team comps they backed out and they switched their skins like they were trying to do everything they could to be not recognizable but the issue with that is, you know, no anonymous mode. Their names still show up in chat as soon as you and the get whole the lobby. Kill feed, yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> They're like, TSM's at this building. And I mean, it's not hard to tell where teams are fighting at. I mean, for anybody who's played competitive, if you see a name in the kill feed, you know what gun they have. You know what that gun sounds like. If it's anywhere near you, you can tell almost exactly yeah, where they are. It's a lot of information in
0: the kill feed. Definitely, because you can see exactly what's going on around you without actually knowing what's going on around you, if that makes sense.
1: Exactly. So,
0: yeah, I do think that anonymous mode actually might be a pretty good addition to the competitive scene, at least the competitive integrity. I think Kofi is fair.
1: I think Kofi is very like underrated for information and um, kind of like a. A bloodhound scan without having a bloodhound scan you know what i mean because oh yeah
0: i mean even in ranked we use it all the time right like
1: exactly yeah i feel like a lot of teams sh- don't utilize it a- as much as they should though
0: yeah i agree i think it's definitely underrated when you were coaching did you talk about the kill feed at all
1: um not really for the most part uh when i was coaching am uh, the main thing that we were trying to focus on was team fights. And I think that's also very, very important to be a, a tier one or a tier two team is yeah. to be able to play off of your teammates um, like as second nature without thinking about it. And I think that's something that a lot of teams still have issues with. Yeah, well, I think
0: even pretty established teams like Complexity can sometimes have issues with that. Because yeah. they, I mean, we saw them not make finals and I think that surprised a lot of people. Um, I think part of the reason that they didn't make finals was just that they were, they kind of felt like they were not as together as they usually are, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Complexity has this really weird play style where they control, you know, three POIs on the map and they they control a lot of loot and they play edge zone and and they play really aggressive for kills but if somebody contests them and throws them off their game or or does something that that they're not used to i feel like they can have a tough time getting over that in, in some cases right right i know in scrims with am i was telling them to like you know, loot up, take like 30 seconds and contest complexity right off the start. You know what I mean? And that really threw them off their game. And yeah, am
0: used to drop a uh, epicenter,
1: right? Uh, yeah, we were dropping in that area. I think we went refinery for actual group finals and, and, and champs. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we ended up, but you know, we had a really, really rough, you know, first two days of, of stages. And then, you know, when it came down to that third lobby, when complexity was in our lobby, We ended up changing our drop location planned out some stuff the night before but you know we had a lot of plans to just straight up like contest right away and i i don't think complexity would have been expecting that and that's something i feel like that you know would have taken them by surprise
0: yeah absolutely i think that i I definitely think that it would have because they wouldn't be used to a team especially a seem they don't play against super frequently contesting them immediately after up basically.
1: Yeah. But
0: yeah. And I think, I think that they're getting contested kind of makes them have to change of their play style, which is another one of those getting off your rhythm can definitely make it a little bit harder for you to place well consistently. And I think we also for saw sure. that a little bit with NRG because it yep. felt like they were getting pushed around a lot in finals because they did amazingly in group stages they had 262 points which was just about 70 points above the next highest team which was tsm they had 110 points in day two like that's crazy yeah
1: yeah and so going into
0: finals everyone expected them to just like go nuts and dominate the team or dominate the scene and it just kind of didn't happen because i think they got uh they got pushed around in ways they didn't expect to be pushed around
1: exactly i think they played all their cards before you know they sat down at the final table they um they kind of showed everything that they were practicing and um obviously you know some zone pulls and and that type of stuff could play into a team's favor but you know look at tsm and even g2 g2 is actually very surprising to me their placement you know nrg and g2 were expected to do very very well and i think they got what 10th and 11th overall yeah. 10th and 11th NRG placed
0: 10th and G2 placed 11th just below letter E, which was uh previously quite unknown team actually. Yeah. Uh, Davis wave and was scissors, which is
1: three. None of those good players, players are. Yeah, exactly. Right. None of those players are bad in any regard. They're very good players, but, but they hadn't played together as a team. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. don't have that, you know, tier one organization, you know, spotlight on them, I guess. Right, and I was and very I, surprised I do, by them, in, in yeah, the I was as actually. well. Um, surprised in a good way. Yeah, they got to match point fairly quickly. I think they just really struggled after that, um, just finishing it off. Uh, yeah, but, letter
0: E was on match point in game eight, which I mean, before that it was only C9 and TSM basically. So yeah,
1: so they were yeah.
0: essentially the third team on match point. Um, But yeah, I think, though, we see teams like that have like really good successes. And then, you know, what happens when they don't play so well in the next major tournament? We kind of saw that with some other teams as well this time around. And after every tournament, teams will split up. Yeah. And so we'll see like this just shuffle of players after every major tournament. Which I and think I is think really that,
1: unhealthy for for the scene in general.
0: Yeah, I completely I think, agree with you.
1: I think if, if teams don't stick together and like learn how to play together and, and just, you know, swap around player to player every single time they have a little issue with each other, I think it's it's really hard to build team chemistry and overall being a like become a tier one player from that. And you know something I, I I told the boys um like if if you guys stick together and stick through the hard times you'll have a, a better chance of being a, a tier one player as a team you know what I mean
0: right absolutely absolutely I just yeah I mean we saw it with a bunch of teams like I think one of the most surprising ones was ESA White it's uh, Stomps and. Uh, impulsive dream and farmer Lucas i I don't think we'd ever seen any indication that they were planning on splitting and then they yeah. place like they they placed 15th in finals but they made it to finals and they had only been playing together for like
1: what six months or something uh, I'm not too sure but i I know that you know those are those are three names that have been you know in this scene for a while and you know once again all three very good players. Um, yeah, just
0: over six months. The team was created in September of 2020. So like I guess nine months now. Yeah, nine months. Yeah. Not even a year, basically.
1: Yeah. I think I think a year is a really good like indication of um of like how a team would grow and progress together. You know what I mean? Like being yeah. able to stick together for a year and you know, put that time in together, and, and see where you are after that that period of time is a is a really good indication of where you would be in you know another six months from now. Right. But yeah, you have these teams that... like splitting up after you know two months together, where they're like yeah. you know they're not they're barely even friends at that point. Right, like they haven't even had time to get any
0: rapport or dynamic going between. The three of them.
1: Exactly.
0: Like, I mean, maybe they have some, but not a lot. And I think sometimes that's what you see, like two players move on to compete together with one player. Not, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe part of it is like their interpersonal dynamics don't work or whatever. Like they have problems outside of the game itself. Yeah. But again, those are things that in my opinion, you can work through and get better, especially if you have, like um like another one lazarus right it looks like they're dropping hierarchy and i think that an organization with that much resources can definitely afford to have a coach that can help them work through that kind of stuff
1: that's another thing that we don't see a lot in the apex scene and i know there there's a few of us like i know um pvp and Hodsick are like are like two, you know, coaches that are you know, really showing up for their teams at this point where I think a coach helps out a lot more because it gives you that third kind of point of view from like outside uh, perspective. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And I think having that in a BR is massive. The only issue is this game is so young. I don't think that a coach could be anybody but a fellow pro player like I don't think you could bring somebody in that has coached let's say like CSGO or something right and have the same impact on a team as somebody who's played Apex competitively or even a BR in general um I know shout out x if somehow you're watching this but when <laughs> I first started competing with uh, Micah and Spyro we x I a, those like, names former... in a while. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um ex a former uh PUBG professional player now analyst came in and really helped us start off and get that head start that nobody else really had he sat there and he you know broke down some issues that we were having right off the start and that really really showed in our like standings and scrims and and smaller tournaments and whatnot right um like how much it helped very quickly and I think, yeah. you know,
0: no, go that's just on. one yeah, of those things on.
1: that that needs to be done if you are having issues becoming a, a, a solid team.
0: Is getting a coach. Yeah, I think support yeah. staff is pretty underrated in general. Like other esports scenes have been growing to the point where they have like a coach and multiple analysts that yeah. help the team play their best. And I think something else that is kind of hindering the apex competitive scene is the lack of, number one, a replay feature mm-hmm. within the game, because it's very hard to analyze what went wrong in a game without multiple perspectives. And not everyone streams, right? So you have like your perspective, and then maybe you have a couple of perspectives from across the map. You know Exactly.
1: Yeah. And and so, like, how do you
0: really analyze your own play and their play based on what they may or may not be streaming?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that, you know, people don't stream could be for a number of reasons, right? Obviously, not streaming will get you better FPS in game. Even if you have, like, you know, two PCs, it's... Apex is a really tough game to stream and run in general. It absolutely um, is. Yeah. Especially in scrims, yeah. So, you know, there, there's FPS issues and, and input lag that, that could stop people from streaming. But also, I think it's to, you know, get that actual practice in. And nobody really understands your strats if, if you don't stream your VOD, right?
0: Right, exactly. And so I, I, I mean...
1: Think... Go ahead. Continue,
0: sorry. No, no, go for oh, it, go
1: for it. I was going to say, like, having a replay mode where... You know, at least for, for scrims and private lobbies, right? Where mm-hmm. coaches or analysts or, or managers or something along that line could go in and analyze the VOD from different perspectives and kind right. of get an idea of what went wrong and where it went wrong would be huge for the game.
0: Oh, I think so too. I think it would just absolutely increase the level of play at all like stages of the game. Like you'd see... Semi pro teams performing way better. You'd see professional teams performing way better just because they're able to properly analyze their gameplay. And I'll yeah. and kind of like on the same token, it's like um, scrims too. You'd be able to see scrims, and like I get that some teams will be trying to quote unquote, you know, strat save or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, you see all these teams not taking scrims seriously at all or not even showing up and i think that that also has a huge is a huge problem and i do think that that impacted some of the placements that we were surprised by in finals in particular nrg they i don't think they really took scrims too seriously from what i saw
1: well i mean you saw what they were doing you know they they were you know quote-unquote griefing and and just the throwing themselves at teams and then the next day they come back and change their names to NRG denier of knowledge like yeah I don't think that's <laughs> taking scrim serious at all which you know it could be a strategy to you know deny knowledge if you want to call it that but I think you got to have your you know strategies and, and backup plans and everything figured out so that you don't sit there and you know, act cocky and then place, you know, 10th or 11th in a, in a massive tournament.
0: Right. And, you know, we have other teams that definitely were practicing. We have like Renegades, Alpine, ESA, Black, Letter E. They were definitely preparing for this tournament as well as they could. And so like, and they were in the top 10 and before this tournament, I don't think you really would have been paying attention to them, but everyone will be paying attention to them now especially like alpine and esa black
1: yeah and letter e i think Uh, renegades is a little more well known and so they're still i still think like Renegades' roster is one of the most talented rosters on the on the like in the game right now if i'm being honest absolutely pow pow saucer and bowser i think are are just three really, really, really solid players. And I think very, very soon we'll uh, we'll see them definitely as like a number one, number two team.
0: Oh, I completely agree. Especially Saucer on his own side. He's very young and he has just only been impressing basically. And I think that uh, when he has time to grow and get more experience, he's just going to dominate.
1: And 100%. having put
0: two players like Bowser and PowPow on his team that are already just such dominant players is going to make them definitely top one or two teams. So I think we should definitely keep an eye out on them.
1: I mean, Wait. in six months, right, I'm seeing, you know, a lot of these underrated teams like, you know, Congerna, obviously they just, they won last champs. Uh, Cloud9, Renegades, like, uh, you know, Alpine, Luttery, e, even SSG that, is new. Yeah, even SSG, Ish. you know, these teams that three months ago nobody would have been talking about, like seriously, I think in, in three to six months or by the time the next, uh, I think it's in September, the next big tournament rolls around, I think yeah, they'll be. AMG starts again in September, yep. Insane. Yeah, and I think it's something that's very
0: healthy for especially the NA scene, but Apex as a whole. Is that the amount of teams that are starting to show up and starting to be really dominant and noticeable? And I think that this should be a kind of a signal to teams like NRG, G2, TSM, the ones that have been dominating already, that they kind of need to step up their game. They kind of need to make sure that they're taking this seriously. Yeah, because if they don't, they're gonna, they're not gonna be top anymore.
1: <laughs> I-, I think that being said, that. You know, Na specifically needs to you know get their ducks in a line here and start scrimming and you know preparing for that because if you don't and you just wipe it off and don't play with your teammates or just play ranked or whatever, you're gonna struggle versus the people who are you know taking this serious. And yeah, you know, it takes a it takes a whole community to you know either fail or prosper right but yeah we see that in eu right yeah yeah exactly it just something needs to happen with like the work ethic of na i feel like for for at least scrims well it's I interesting for- because
0: that's a problem in esports in general the League of legends community has been lot around for a very long time and the na scene still has a problem with how the players and the coaches and the orgs view competitive esports yeah and i think that's part of a a cultural difference between na and eu and you know the eastern european and even the asian regions
1: yep i agree with that i mean you know in other games you have the whole na is a meme for competitive esports oh yeah (laughs) everywhere you know and i think that really really shows how inconsistent or you know rough it is for I guess NA players to compete like obviously we saw in Valorant for example, Sentinels absolutely dominated their tournament in um, their last LAN event right? And even in Apex like personally, I think NA will still perform very well on LAN but it won't be like that for much longer you know what I mean? I think we'll be very surprised by a bunch of you know, EU or um, Asian teams that that have been scrimming and taking this serious for months. Well, I mean, think about
0: the APAC North teams. Like, RIG, I think that RIG would dominate NA. Yeah. I just think they would because of how seriously they take the game and how much they play together.
1: I could see that happening. So,
0: I I don't know. I just think NA has to kind of get their... Like you said, get their ducks in a row and start taking competitive seriously if they want to perform consistently well on land.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's but. very interesting though. Like, I think one of the main aspects, at least for for NA, is how scrims are ran and how we're kind of forced to. Play in an open scrim environment where tier one players are playing against gold four players, and in, in rank <laughs> or like you know, in scrims, yeah. It's like I think something that EA or Respawn should do right from the get go is make it that masters or pred requirement to even scrim, right? At least in a tier one lobby, or make it qualify for a tier one lobby. I mean. You know back when when tier one tier one apex and and um apex.pro and private apex and all those discords were around you know you had to win a like was it a week or two weeks or a month long you know q snipe scrim tournament to get an invite to the private tournament the private scrims you know what i mean yeah you had to
0: place well enough consistently throughout the week to move up to i think we called it lobby a at the time yeah um, before you are even able to play with the tier one teams. And I think which, that that is, a, I think that's part of why some of the teams don't take scrim seriously is because they're not going to be as the The, the quality of practice that they need, which is a double edged sword because if they don't participate, the other teams are never going to get better.
1: Yeah. But then again, like if they do participate, It's almost like wasting your time waiting for everybody else to catch up, you know, like there's, there's the big skill gap, I think in, in competitive apex, where if you played in the beginning where, you know, those discords, those Q snipe scrims, the private scrims were a thing, you have a massive advantage on anybody who's tried to get in after those were, you know, after those days have gone where, where private lobbies have now come out and, you know, GLL, for example, is running scrims. I think that even sitting three months of QSnipe scrims back in the day would have been much more helpful than the entirety of like you know a year long of of scrims the way they ran right now. And I I can I can agree with that. I think, yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something about like you know not having that that skill gap that separation that's something that makes other teams work for it and earn it i think is is a big issue
0: yeah instead of just being like able to play with their idols or whatever you know
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah i can see that i think my only complaint with that is that i think that we just need to set up scrims in the way that there is a T1 scrims and you have to earn your way into it. But at the same time, the mentality that not playing is better than playing. Like I I can see it being a waste of time, but at the same time, I don't see anyone like really trying to push through and just organize the T1 scrims and, or even T2
1: scrims. And I don't mean players or teams. I mean, groups. Well, I mean, there is, As far as I know, there is a tier two scrim discord, right, where it's people who actively want to scrim. I'm not sure. I'm not in it. I'm not (laughs) sure exactly how they're running it, but Uh I know that there's like an invite tier two discord where they they run scrims for anybody who wants to show up and actually take time to learn how to compete, right? And obviously that's not tier one and that's not going to be, you know, super high competitive, But it still gets that practice in with people who are, you know, tier two, you know, they have some experience in the game. It's kind of that, you know, they've hit Masters or Pred, they've maybe played in a few tournaments here and there, but they're not going to be like, you know, people who are winning ALGS or placing even like top five ALGS, let's say.
0: Right. Yeah, there's just a completely different level of skill and competitiveness there. And that I agree with. I completely agree with that. But like, how do you get those teams that are in the T2 area to be T1
1: teams? You know, where's the pipeline? You know, that's something that a lot of people, I guess, are asking the same question, right? Like, what's the difference between a Tier 2 and a Tier 1 team? And honestly, I just think it's experience, right? Because how, yeah. how many Tier 2 teams, like if they got to this ALGS champs, right? How many Tier 2 teams would be like shaking under pressure and not knowing what to do and just having their brain completely turn off when it comes down to actually competing, you know, for money? And I think that, you know, if you look at the top teams, a lot of these players have competed in other games or have been, you know, doing this long enough to where they've gained that experience to where it's like, whether we win or lose, you know, we move forward and game. we improve. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, but at the same time, you have all these ESA teams, right? And like, I know that all of these ESA players are really good players and have experience and stuff, but they're not. They're not like TSM. They haven't been a team since like, you know, day one, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so I think that it's a really good proof that the incentive that ESA offers as well as the consistency can bring these teams to be a top level competitors
1: which i agree you know they have the the pro nights where where they invite these tier 1 teams onto you know 10 tier 1 teams and 10 series e teams to compete versus each other and i think that right there is an amazing practice right where even if it's just once a week or, or, or once a month or whatever it is, that one scrim right there is doing more for the ESA teams than anything else, right? And
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the tier one teams still get some sort of
1: high quality or higher quality practice because exactly, they have yeah. 10
0: teams there.
1: I mean, I can see that, one yeah. thing that I've noticed, right, is that Every everything plays out different, right? No matter if you had the same teams, if if you play GLO, for example, it's very like W key, like just ate yes, everything and kills everything, 70, right? yeah. And then if you play Series E, it's it's more about like a lot of edge teams, and you have a lot of fights, a lot of three v three potential. And then right. when you go into an actual tournament, you see twenty teams left alive in Zone Four. Like, it's just yeah. the way these teams are scrimming and, and practicing really can't prepare you for these final lobbies. And, you know, that's just that's something that needs to change. But I don't think it ever will, honestly. I don't really think it can. Because
0: of the that? way that BRs... I think because of the way BRs are played, right? So the way that you have to be you're incentivized to kill people for the most part right and so mm-hmm. in group stages I think that's why we saw like NRG playing so much better is because they would push things that they definitely didn't push in finals right yeah. even if it is a favorable outcome for them there's that fear of having six more teams show up which I mean we saw that right in that in game six I think or seven maybe up in that tunnel above um survey when you had like yes. uh CLG, you had SSG, you had Alpine, you had two other teams that I can't remember. I think uh, Liquid was in that mix. Liquid as well. was there, absolutely. And like, Alpine ended up coming out on top, but they only came out on top
1: because they were the last ones to show up. Exactly. Every single team, you know, one team had that position, and uh, you know, I can't remember maybe it was CLG pushed for it. One person on CLG got knocked, instantly third-partied, right? Because that position was the best position in the game. That that was God spot for sure. Obviously, I mean, Alpine won that game, you know? Yeah, exactly. But it, it just happened like that where one person got knocked on that team and there was instantly another team there. No time to reset, no time for anything. There was no even way to get out if you wanted to get out. And I yeah, think the that,
0: closest thing to getting out was that was the balloon there, and that's just not even an option.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. anybody anybody going up that balloon, unless you're even a wraith, I don't think you make it up even half of that, right?
0: Yeah. Not not even a wraith. I don't think everyone in the lobby just has such good aim that you're just you're just a you know you're, you're playing at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I don't know. I think that something that we've seen though, um in situations like that, there was another situation game Four, perhaps the launch site ending where you had letter E was being pinched by G2 and I think Sentinels. And they were able to use Valkyrie to get out, which is actually very interesting because she's a very new legend on the scene. Right. And so her abilities are, she has those rockets that slow and stun, do a little bit of damage. She can float, which is also kind of not great because you get beamed out of the sky if you're floating around too yeah. much. And then she has yeah. the redeploy which is really what makes her kit super strong for competitive. And we saw her used a few times, that one being one. C9 used uh, Valkyrie to reposition to a winning position in a later game as well. And I think that these legends really have potential, at least Valkyrie does. There's other new legends, like I think we- Uh, I think some of the newest legends we saw were Valkyrie and Revenant and Revenant. We only saw in one team and that was my little phony. And that was just, I'm really not sure what they were doing. It kind of felt like they were just griefing because they weren't, it didn't feel like they were playing to win. They were playing to kill teams. Yeah. Whether or not they died off of it, you know? And like, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's tough to justify in a finals lobby. LGS. But for, in Valkyrie's case, I think that she really kind of has this 50-50 aspect to her. Like, you, as if you know where everyone is on the map, you can pick a good spot to land. But we also saw her redeploying, and then the redeploy ended up with the team being in a really, really bad spot.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's you know kind of going back to where scrims are important. In these last, like, few days of scrims, we saw a lot of teams really pushing Valkyrie to the edge to see what they could do with her. And I think that's where the whole land on top out of bounds and drop down after 30 seconds came into play because, you know, these teams theory-crafted it in scrims, and then when it actually came down to, to play, everybody knew it was going to happen. And that the teams that ran Valkyrie did that consistently, right? I know there was a few teams that would valkyrie out um, like on top of a building and then caustic and gibby bubble down onto a team that was holding a position that they wanted and i think that yeah. has potential <laughs> that to be you know yeah. really really strong really really op and broken but you know that's that's something you you can really only craft or, or theorize in a scrim lobby right
0: yeah there's no shot you you're in a situation where
1: there's two building, I You're talking about the Lava City zone, I believe, where... Um, well, there was the I Lava it, City zone, and then there was, a, a I think, a, a countdown zone in group stages where a team did that. Where
0: yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. Where they it up height and then dropped down after 30 seconds, and I think they, both times they won the fight, whoever dropped down. Yeah. With Caustic and Gibby. But yeah, and that's something that you can only see in scrims, and if, you know all your practice is W keying and you're not going to ever get the chance to make these strats that are like, honestly game changing that, that strat was it altered exactly. the course of the game because no one really expected it and no one was really able to do anything about it. And I mean, obviously now this is one of those things that only works once. As soon as they see a Valko, they're going to start looking for that.
1: But at the same time, it's like, exactly, what yeah. else can you do with her? And, and that's something that like, won't, show up for for months almost you know what i mean yeah it's,
0: right
1: it's something that like you won't know like there's still new mechanics that haven't been discovered in apex that nobody knows about that have been in you know since the first day like yeah well i mean you know, like super gliding and tap super strafing gliding, like, exactly tap strafing they those were discovered were all, much much later in the scene those were all day one mechanics but nobody really used them or knew about them until you know a year and a half later or or two years later even and that just shows like without scrims or without you know the the potential theory crafting that these teams do um a lot of these legends won't see their full potential right yeah absolutely and i mean
0: i think that that's the, honestly, the, in this this finals lobby, the difference between how Revenant was impactful and how Valkyrie was impactful is a really good indicator of hopefully the direction that the respawn team is heading towards with their character design.
1: I agree. Yeah. I um I really hope to see some changes w- with Valkyrie so that the the thirty second out of bounds timer, you know, gets changed for for one way or the uh, another um i think that you know having that ability to kind of alt out and be completely out of line of sight from anybody and nobody can really counter what you do for 30 seconds especially in a tournament type of of you know play style is extremely strong you know what i mean and like you were saying earlier game changing right um you know there, there's other game changing things in apex like you know, the Kraber, the previous self-res, or those things that are really hard to counter. Something that's like RNG at that point, but obviously, like Valkyrie is not RNG. It's just you know, it's it was yeah, no, and
0: it was- and I think that's the difference between you know the Kraber and Valkyrie. It's not, uh, it's not RNG. And so, like yeah. we saw, we saw um, C9 win a game off of a Kraber shot. Uh, shot. They shot results, I think, out of the air and knocked yeah. him, and that caused Sentinels and C9 to be able to pick a, pick on G2 very easily, eliminate them in third place, and then C9 just won the straight-up 3v3 against Sentinels. And, like, without the Kraber, that game can go a hundred different ways.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Like, you know, G2 was in the middle of C9 and uh, Sentinels in that case, and it was very unlikely that they were going to to get out or, or win the game at all. But even having a Gibby up, a Gibby will be able to do a lot of damage to a single team like before he yeah, gets knocked. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, so yeah. The fact that he got knocked for free and then, you know, there was just two players up is is a big difference between, you know, Cloud9 winning that game or Sentinels winning that game at that point. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I mean
0: this isn't even the only instance of seeing items or characters completely change the outcome of the game. I mean, we saw um, in game, what was it? Two, two or three. Let's see. Doo, doo, doo. Game
1: five. No, there were a few games. Oh, game three. Away.
0: Game three was when snipe- uh, we Oh uh, Yeah, but I want to talk about when Snipedown down got Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. because that mobile res was it was insane it was it was just it absolutely changed the game obviously they won the game off that they mobile him he walked into the zone you know meleeed two, two people. people yep
1: knocked one in his oh, zone knocked, knocked one in his yep. zone
0: and, and they Rex ended up winning the game off of that 1v1.
1: yep that was in my opinion and, one of the best apex plays to history uh like like it's absolutely go if that, doesn't down, yeah. Whatever, if that doesn't go down yeah if that doesn't go to the top apex history something's something's going wrong but it, that's something that like a lot of people would look over you know what i mean you see a mobile respawn beacon you're like eh, i don't need that it's okay but like yeah these small things that completely change an outcome of a game is is sometimes a good thing and sometimes a bad thing i know that like like i was saying earlier with with self-res right that was, something that really changed it too often you know what i mean like a mobile respawn yeah. you're not going to get very many you know uh examples of somebody calling it a mobile respawn respawning a teammate and winning a game because of that but the amount of times that a that a self-res was found from either just an rng loot pool or a vault or or, or whatnot that you know Somebody got a self res off and and won the game or, or griefed the team or, you know, even what? teams having three self reses and being able to block each <laughs> other while they was, res. Is. That was actually terrible. I remember watching some of
0: that and that was just the worst. I mean, but yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. I think that the difference is the RNG versus not RNG, right? Like the yeah. mobile the mobile respawn is a positive influence on the game because it's not RNG based. They had to actively make that call and everyone knew what was happening. Everyone knew you see, you see that come down you see the ship come in like there's no,
1: Oh, I hit a headshot. It's now a two V three push. Exactly. And I mean, most of the times that isn't an RNG item. You can craft it on the crafter, right? Every single person in the game has access to it where you know, it's the same thing with like the batteries and the crafter in general where that is a is a system to limit the RNG factors of a battle royale, which I think it is, you know, one of the best things Apex has done for at least competitive where, you know, if you are leaving your drop spot with very very bad loot, you know, no heals whatever, you can sit there, take 20 seconds, craft four bats, a few med kits and you'll be all right. And you know if you want a mobile respawn beacon or attachments for your gun or whatever but that's something that would you know limit those rng factors to play more consistently yeah absolutely
0: and everyone has access to it like you said whereas the kraber is like you have a i think a one in five well okay it's less than that but like maybe you get to one of the five care packages right and maybe it has a kraber in it and that's and if it does, like, you, chances are you're going to win the game off of that, unless you make a really stupid
1: push. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but, if not win the yeah. game, you at least at least at the pro level, you're almost guaranteed, you know, knocks and kills from it, right? Right. Which hey, is those yeah. knocks and those kills can impact the game, right? If you're just if you're poking with the Kraber, you're doing something wrong. If you are, <laughs> you know, shooting at someone to get a knock, and then you're going to reposition off of that, like push that team, get them out of that spot that's how you use the Kraber, And I think that's something that you don't see a lot of ranked players do. You know what I mean? And obviously, you know, ranked and competitive is completely different, but if you're just sitting there shooting a Kraber at somebody, you know, you're, you're using it wrong. If you're not planning right. to make a play off of it, um, What's the you know, point it could be it used in a better, yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that too. And I think
1: that that's one of the big reasons that it really shouldn't be in competitive. I mean, and, in all honesty, I think competitive and casual play should have different rule sets and different, um, I guess, mode types, if that makes sense, right? Like, obviously, when it comes down to competitive endgame, right, you have the slow circle closing in. How many times have you played a pub or even a ranked game and been to that slow circle? <laughs> been to end the end zone, the zone 6 exactly. closing on you, like, yeah. It's like, that just doesn't happen, so... You know, when these competitive players are are complaining about, you know, something in the game that's completely broken or busted, that shouldn't be a thing. Like, I want to say nine times out of 10, they don't care that it's in pubs or even in ranked. The issue they have is when it's in competitive. And I think that, you know, if respawn splits up like the, the, I guess, modes where
0: like having a competitive build and a public build exactly yeah yeah and i can see that and there's a couple other things that kind of go along with that and there are weapons that like i don't know obviously this will be a contentious topic but it's something i want to talk about is like the spitfire right the spitfire and the devotion how many teams did we see running a spitfire in finals let alone groups i would say a majority Uh, honestly almost every and if a gun is getting used by a majority of the teams same way that a legend is getting used by a majority of the team. maybe it needs to be looked at. Maybe it needs to get tweaked for competitive. And they don't. Again, they don't have to tweak it for public play. Like that doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. There's no, you know, and like maybe it is broken in competitive play. Maybe it isn't. You know, that's not the point. The point is that there should be. And I agree with you. I definitely think you hit the nail on the head there too. Is that there should be two separate builds, one for competitive and one for a public play.
1: Yeah and i mean if we want to talk about balancing it's like you know you have these these guns and and these you know percentages and and everything that they make their balancing off of but i think those balances are are flawed right i think the the way that respawn balances their their weapons are flawed because you know, how fun is it to go around with an R99 or a wingman (laughs) and just one mag someone or even, you know, just have that satisfaction of of double headshotting someone. The double headshot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's like those are very skillful things to do because you can't miss when you do that. But at the same time, those guns are getting nerfed over something that has 65 bullets that does 1,000 damage. Like if you full spray, like, you know, it's it's it's, like... It's like when they
0: nerf or buff legends based on pick and win rate. It's like Mm -hmm. I exactly, you know, Wraith is a pretty good example because it does not matter what you do to Wraith. Her portal is so strong that teams at the high level will pick her no matter what. And when casual players or public players see these competitive and high caliber teams picking Wraith, they're going to pick her too. That's just the way it's going to happen because they see that she's performing well. And they also would like to perform well. And so they change the, what they do based on what they see. And it's it's not a very good way to go about balancing. They really have to look at how the, the character or gun impacts gameplay itself rather than looking purely at a sheet of paper that says, oh, Wraith was picked 99.999% of the time. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but you yeah. get the point.
1: Well, I mean, how many times would when you say a casual player watches their favorite streamer or pro player that's like, "Oh my God, how's the best Wraith player to ever exist?" Right, and then I want to be like him, and then goes into a public match and picks Wraith. They're not going to perform anywhere near the same, right? Right. Their experience levels not. and you know overall just just skill. Is nowhere near the same, but how many how many of those players do you think are playing a legend only because they see somebody else play it, right? Only because yeah, you have the like asus so. or the lyrics or the <laughs> fades or you know the howls, where it's like this character is good in their hands, but outside of that, not really.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you see that with a lot of people. Like uh, Timmy plays a lot, a lot of Pathfinder. He used to. Even yep. when Pathfinder had been nerfed to the ground, he would still play him. Because he was A a lot of fun. And B, when you have that kind of mechanical skill, having that much mobility is just an absolute benefit. Yeah. And so it's like that also undoubtedly impacted his however many twelve 000 to fourteen thousand viewers, you know.
1: Exactly. And that's well, I mean, a even uh, caution, right? Mm-hmm. Caution has like completely blown up simply because of his pathfinder movement and his pathfinder skill in general like i'm sitting on on, on tiktok or twitter or something right and i see a yeah. clip and i'm like Action dude clip. i want i want to play the pathfinder now like i want to do that yeah i mean like, yeah Continue, even from a sorry. level like this is like you know that's cool you know i want to be able to do that oh yeah
0: oh yeah and one of those things, you know, you always see like a Pathfinder doing crazy shit or crazy stuff in pubs. And you're like, oh, I hope that's not caution. I hope I don't make it into a Twitter or a TikTok <laughs> clip.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Because like, you know, it's and, and, and of course, you you know,
1: he,
0: we're not casual players at the game, right? We, we play the game yeah. with, a, with a specific purpose other than just to kind of have fun or to play a game or even to get better at the game. Like we play it. At a competitive level, or we analyze at a competitive level, and even uh, even us, we see those things. We want to play it, so I, I think that that effect is only going to be multiplied as someone who plays the game to have fun. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just a majority of the players do just want to have fun. And I mean, it's a game at the end of the day. So,
1: and I think I think caution's not the only example of that either, right? Like going back to what I was saying earlier, like ASU, like dizzy, you know what I mean, like fade. Yeah. You see fade on a zipline, you're just like, oh my gosh, what the heck? And you know how many how many players in PUBS now on World's Edge that land at that streamer building and just sit there and zipline jump for hours and hours and hours on all day with the with the final sunset on, right? It's like Ryan. there's at least like three every single game, and oh, yeah, yeah, it's just because they want to be like that person and they want to be able to do that. And it's just, it's something that I don't think devs exactly think about when they go into like balancing. Right. And I, yeah, that's a a flawed system. I think so too. And
0: don't get me wrong. I love the apex devs. I think they do some really good work, but I also think that they, they have some places that they can really improve on. And I think this is one of them. I think their balancing team really needs to take, an introspective eye and look at how they balance their legends. And then, like you said, I think they really do need to consider having balancing be different for competitive versus public play. Cause it, it's too, it's, it's really hard to overstate how different
1: competitive play is versus even ranked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a completely different game. It just is. And, and there's nothing that's going to change that either. Right. Like, For the first season of of Ranked, right? Where, obviously, Sentinels was the first team to Predator. And every single game was a scrim. You know what I mean? Every single game from Bronze 4 to Pred that, like, week and a half or however long it took, was a scrim lobby, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We will never have that again. Because the... The way ranked plays out right now and the way um like it's set up it's it's not meant for that and yeah i mean we could
0: think- potentially have something close or at least if we change the rank system to team-based kills rather than individual well, but at the same time i know how much of a problem that can be with the cheater situation
1: even team-based kills like that would really promote the 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 boosting and and this that the other the cheater yeah. situation and I think that's something that, you know, needs to be addressed sooner rather than later as well. Like, you go into <laughs> it's a, a whole, That's lobby, a whole
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You go to a pred lobby, though, and how many games in a row are you either getting DOSed or running into cheaters or this, that, and the other? And it's just like, that's something that I don't think should be an issue, but is. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I took it upon myself to every single time, every time I got DDoSed, I would ping respawn on twitter you know because it was getting so ridiculous yeah and i think some some days i would i would at twitter i would at respawn like four or five six seven eight nine times a day and i wasn't even playing for that
1: long exactly and, and it's you know, yeah, it's just it's crazy i think that um you know having that issue in a game like this is really really a mood killer like obviously you can ask anybody in the apex scene right the they'll complain about apex the they'll say it's you know it's (laughs) but at the end of the day it's still one of the best brs out there right i was laughing because i knew exactly where you're going yeah i mean yeah we'll sit here and we'll complain all day but it it really truly is one of the best games out right now and
0: i've gone and played other shooters and there's nothing compares the movement is just so smooth the gunplay is so good and it's just like the base mechanics and mechanical
1: aspects of the game is just far and away a different tier than other games exactly and i think that anybody that's like played the game and has taken the time to like learn the game would agree with that for the most part
0: yeah i think so too and like i mean how many pros have we seen leave and then come back because they just playing another game just doesn't feel the same and I, like, yeah Even streamers, like I know Asu is done (laughs) because I would be too if I
1: grind the game that hard. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, I think that's a different you know, a different comparison. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But we have a lot of people leaving and coming back because it's just it feels so good to play the game. Like it's just it's it's hard to compare it to other games. But yeah, so I uh, I think we've kind of hit everything that we wanted to talk about. Hmm. So um, I guess we'll... T- so uh, this, again, has been Final Ring. We're planning... I'll tell you guys a little bit about what our plans are for the future. And while I can jump in a little bit if I get something wrong or whatever, but uh, we're planning on doing this bi-weekly. So every other week we'll have a podcast released on Mondays. Um, we'll try to be getting uh, some guest speakers at least once a month. So every other episode we'll have a special speaker. And... Hopefully they'll be around this amount of time every time. Um, but we are going to be trying to get this out. Like I said, every other week on Mondays. And so, yeah, uh, hit us up on any of our uh, socials. I think we're probably going to have those displayed on screen at some point. And so if you have things you want to talk about, things you comments about the episode, things that you think we got wrong or would like to discuss, absolutely let us know
1: obviously this is like a an open conversation um type of, of deal so f- feel free to sh- chime in uh either in the comment section or you know add us on twitter or whatever whatever feels right and if you have any suggestions for future podcasts or anything that you want us to talk about specifically um you can you know tweet those questions at us or at am or absolute monarchy I, I believe is the ad on twitter and um I'm sure we will uh, get around to it if if there's some good questions on there.
0: Yeah, we would love to hear from you. So, yeah, thanks for listening to the first podcast.